glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. When he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation... And he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Listen to what he says, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed." For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. I find, I don't think there's any other text in Scripture where Jesus marveled at somebody other than at their unbelief. The only time I find him marveling at someone's faith. He marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. We're going to turn our spotlight on this centurion. Uh, Just like the Syrophoenician woman, we don't know his name. There's a number of centurions in the Bible that came to personal faith in Jesus Christ. We find one in Acts chapter uh, 10, uh, 9 and 10, a fellow by the name of Cornelius later who comes to faith in Christ. I believe the centurion at the foot of the cross, he said, truly this was the Son of God. He came to faith in Christ. And then here's this one. If you know anything about a centurion, you know that it's a Roman authority. He's a Roman soldier, but he is in authority over 100 soldiers, a quaternion, uh, if you would, uh, or rather a, 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 a group of 100 soldiers, rather. So he, he's a centurion. That's why he's called that. He has 100 men under his charge. So here's a man. If we look at him, he doesn't have leprosy. He doesn't, uh, he's not blind. He's not wrecked his life through, uh, through, uh, demon possession and sin like Mary Magdalene had. No, here's a man that by all of our measures, he's got his life together. I want to begin this morning. I'm going to give you a few things about him, beginning with his position. What's, what's laid out for us is just exactly who this guy is. I heard a, a group of pastors speaking the other day, and they were, their subject matter was dealing with false religion. And they were focused in on one specific false religion, false doctrine, and the doctrines that religion promotes. And they all agreed that the hardest people to win to faith in Christ are religious folks. Well, I would say that. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not people uh, who know that they have a need. It's the false religious crowd who don't see that need. And so this man easily could have fallen into a false religion like Phariseeism or Sadduceeism that would inflate his pride, pat him on the back and say, you're a good guy. But instead, he loved the truth. So here's a man that he's not, he's not poor in resources in this life. He might have even, we would call him wealthy. He financed the building of a synagogue. I don't think you do that with pocket change. 
So I want you to see a few things about his position that will establish what it means to be poor in spirit. His position, number one, we would see his responsibility, which I've already spoken of. He is not an irresponsible man. This is not a man who, you just, if you read between the lines, and we won't make the Bible say something, it doesn't, but you don't get entrusted with 100 Roman soldiers for being irresponsible. He's a responsible man. In our world today, this would be someone that's in a supervisory position in a, in a factory or someone that is uh, in, uh, up in ranks, maybe a, uh, a high-ranking sergeant in the army who's got a number of men that he's in charge of. You don't get there, generally speaking, in this life by being irresponsible. He's a responsible man. Uh, and so he, uh, he's a man that's a centurion. He's a position uh, of authority. He has people that when he says jump, their job is to say how high. He knows that. How many of us know what often this kind of authority does to men? And I mean men in general, and I mean men by gender. What does this often do? <laughs> because I'm in a position where people have to move at my word, I think I'm a little god of some sort. Uh, Abraham Lincoln had a pretty good grasp on the dangers of power in men. He said, you never know the character of a man until you give him power. And then you'll figure out what he's made of. Here's a man who had a hundred men that had to show up when he said, had to march when he said, had to go into battle when he said. He said, jump, they moved. He had that kind of authority. Yet he had a right attitude. This is a rare find right here. This is not, this is why Jesus marveled at him. He had great responsibility. Number two, he had a good reputation. He had a good reputation. Here's a man, the Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, how many of you know that especially during this period of time, Jews and Gentiles, especially Roman soldiers and Jewish people, they didn't get along real well. The, the, the Jewish land, the nation of Israel, was Roman occupied. They were under Roman rule at this time. And so Jewish soldiers, Jewish people uh, did not care too much for the Romans. But here's a man, you know who's speaking up for him? The Bible tells us in verse 3, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent on him the elders of the Jews. Here's a Roman centurion that is so, he, he is so conducting himself in a way that he has a personal relationship with the Jewish leadership in Capernaum and they were willing to represent him to Jesus. The elders of the Jews as going to Jesus as a Jew, they say, you know what, we respect this guy enough. So he's a well-respected man in his community, even among people outside of his own ethnicity. Here's a man that had conducted himself in such a way he had won the favor of who would normally be his enemies. You know what most men like this would say? Look it, I'm a responsible man. I've got a good reputation in my community. I'm well respected. Why do I need anything? I'm a self-made man. But that's not what we're going to find with this man. But this is who he is. He has responsibility. He has a good reputation. He has respect in his community. And obviously, he had plenty of earthly resources. Here's what encourages me this morning. And I need this message. Can I just confess this this morning? When I meet somebody like this, in my conscience, I go, that's somebody I'll never lead to the Lord. If they're well-respected, they have responsibility, they're doing you know, what is right in the eyes of men, they're well-liked, I'll never get them to believe they need salvation. Because nine times out of ten, you can't. Normally men like this are rich in spirit. They don't see their need. Their neighborhoods. I'll be honest with you. Let me go knock doors in the slums, but I don't like going where folks are wealthy. You say, why, preacher? Because they don't need anything. Who needs anything when you got it all? When you have 
a brand new house and you got a good job and your boss likes you and you got a good marriage and your servants like you. I mean, this man, is he's got it together in this life. This is why Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. This man is not, he's not poor in, in this life. Uh, he had resources, so much so, the Jews say this, verse 4, And when they, the, the elders of the Jews, came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he, talking about the centurion, was worthy for whom he should do this. Verse 5, For he loveth our nation. Here's a Gentile who loves the Jews. And he hath built us a synagogue. That's why I say his resources. you got enough money. How many of you have enough money today to build a brand new church building? Now, I understand synagogues and churches aren't the same. But if you go through history, it's going to cost a lot of money to build a synagogue. And the Bible said he did it. This Roman centurion used what he had to bless the Jewish people and build a house of worship for Jehovah God. And they said, if anybody is worth God doing a favor for, he is. Now, they had it all wrong. They said he's worthy. You know what he said? He said, I'm not. He said, because here's the way they were, they were operating, like so many do. If you do enough for God, he'll do for you. I've read multiple times, I say multiple, more than once recently, some people who present themselves in social media, and they say something like this, I treat people the way people treat me. Or, treat me good and I'll treat you good. That's not the golden rule, by the way. That's a muddy rule. <laughs> Jesus said, as you would that men would do unto you, do also unto them. doesn't matter if they treat you right or not. But that's the mentality with many people. You know, you treat me right, I, then you've earned a right for me to treat you right. And they think God thinks that way. They said, hey, this guy, Jesus, he is worthy of you doing a miracle for him because he has treated the Jewish people really nice. So he's earned it. When you say somebody's worthy, you know what you're saying? They've earned it. The other people, they might not. You know what? By the end of Luke 7, you have a woman who puts anoints Jesus' feet and these same people are wondering, what in the world are you doing touching her? She doesn't deserve it. Nope, she didn't. Neither did he. Do you know how the Roman centurion in the, in the beginning of Luke 7 saw himself? The same way Mary in the end of Luke 7 saw herself unworthy of the presence of Jesus Christ. This morning, if the Lord Jesus, he promised where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he'd be in the midst. Why should the presence of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God show up at Bonners Ferry Baptist Church today? <laughs> well, we've done a good job. No. Uh, really, are we worthy of Him helping us today? If we think we are, we need, to, we need to think differently. We're not. And this centurion, though he was wealthy... As we would see it in this life, he's got responsibility. He's got a good reputation. He's got respect. He's got resources. That's his position. But then listen to his perception of himself. The Bible says, verse 6, Then Jesus went with them. He goes along. And when he was now not far from the house, so he's about to meet the centurion in person, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Then he goes on to say, Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. The servant is very concerned that Jesus would understand his heart. He wants the Lord Jesus to understand. I guarantee you, the centurion knew what those Jewish elders were saying. They're talking me up. 
Lord Jesus, I want you... Now he sends the elders first to get Jesus' attention. You know what I think he thought? I think he thought Jesus probably won't come just because I ask. I need somebody they might listen to. I'm not worthy for him to hear what I have to say. I'm just a Roman soldier, but I'm going to send somebody that might get his attention. When he starts getting closer and he realizes he's coming, he's coming to my house, he says to his friends, go out there, go, 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 meet him. I, I, I am not worthy to be in the same room with that man. I want you to meet him out there and tell him he doesn't need to come in the house. I don't want him thinking that I'm playing politics here and trying to get him to do me a favor because I did him a favor. I don't deserve anything from him. That's his attitude. His perception, I see two things. He saw the smallness of himself and the greatness of the Savior. If this centurion was to gauge his own worthiness by comparing to other centurions, do you think he would have thought himself worthy? Yes, most centurions were not very nice. Do you know how he came to the conclusion, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof? He wasn't thinking about himself in comparison to anybody else. He was thinking of himself in comparison to Jesus Christ. He said, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now listen this morning, Luke chapter 18. If you were to read forward in that book, you'd find a parable of two people. By the way, our flesh doesn't like this. When we are impressed with ourselves, the Bible will disturb us. Yes? It'll disturb us. I thought this morning, when you trade off the philosophy of man for the Word of God, it is an easier pill to swallow, but there's death in it. The philosophy of man is you earn your place in this world and the next one to come, but the Word of God says it's not like that. The kingdom of heaven does not go to the accomplished. It goes to those who know they have need. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So the man says, I'm not worthy. He says, I am not, I'm this guy. I'm way down here. You're way up here. What he's going to say is this. If you read along in Luke 7, he says in verse 7, Wherefore neither thought I myself, his perception of self was, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. He's going to explain verse 8. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. What he's saying is, I understand how authority works. I have some men under my authority, and whoever's been placed under my authority by those over me in authority have to do what I say. And everyone and everything under your authority, Jesus, has to do what you say. And if you say the word, you have the authority to cast sickness out of my servant and make him whole. You know what he's saying? I understand you are my creator. That's what he's saying. He understood that the one that was approaching his house spoke the world into existence. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We have a preaching today, and I'm going to tell you, I won't be negative for very long, but bear with me. We have a preaching today that takes Jesus Christ, the great and almighty God, and makes him your blue jean wearing cousin who's out there to help you get your work done every day. Let me help you with something this morning. He is still King of Kings, Lord of Lords. One says, I don't like that. It doesn't matter if we like it or not. It's fact. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is. He said in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what the Pharisees of his day did in response to that statement? They picked up stones to stone him. They said, we don't want that voice speaking to us. But not this man, 
This man had a perception of himself that was little. He says, I don't, I am not deserving that you as my maker should do anything for me. I believe this. I was talking to a man yesterday. It was a one-on-one meeting. And he's been brought up with some false ideas about religion and all these things. I see you can put all religion in two categories. And you've heard this before. Many of you have. But it's true. There's really only two religions in the world. There's the religion of the Bible, which is a faith. That one says God humbled himself and came down to man to redeem us. Then there's the religion of works. It says man exalts himself and doesn't need redeemed. He can elevate himself out of his fallen state. All religion. I don't care. There, there, there is churches this morning who might have Baptist on their sign and they're in this category. I'm, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, uh, brands so-called of Christianity that teach that through certain processes and certain activities, you can elevate yourself to a place where, God, you deserve your place in heaven. No one will ever be there. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what this guy might have done if he were in our world today, and like so many in his world in his day? Come right on in. Come right on in. I knew you would come. When you heard how I built a synagogue for your people, when you heard that I'm a centurion, I'm a who's who in the Roman army, when you heard uh, that, uh, you know, that, that I have done so much for your nation, I knew you would come. You couldn't say no to a guy like me. Might he have said that? But he didn't. He said because he understood who he was talking to, He understood who he was. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, Isaiah is pronouncing woes on the nation. Woe, woe, woes to the drunken, woes to that call evil good and good evil. But in Isaiah chapter 6, he gets a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then you know what Isaiah said? Woe is me. You see, when we get a clear picture of who our God is, when we get a picture of who... May I say this? If I'm not there this morning, I, if I don't have a clear perception of Jesus Christ, I might still be pretty impressed with me, but the centurion, because he knew who Jesus was, he knew who he was. In light of Jesus Christ, Jesus tells us in John chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Meaning it is who Jesus Christ is that reveals who we really are. Romans 3.23 says that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the man's perception, he says, I don't see myself the way other people see me. How many of you can imagine this? Can you imagine the city council getting a hold of the president of the United States and saying, look, we got a citizen here who has a need, and you as the president are the only one that has the authority to do it, and this guy deserves it. If anybody deserves a letter from the president that will help him out, this guy does. And before the president ever helps you, you write a letter saying, I know what they've said about me, but it's not true. I don't deserve anything from you. I don't deserve you to write me a letter. I don't deserve uh, you helping me out. I am not worthy of that. Can you imagine? You have this man and the leaders in his community, the religious leaders are singing his praises. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Somebody sings my praises. You know what happens? You want to believe it, even though it's not normally true. Right? 
You want to believe it? Of course, it's true. Not this guy. He knew who he was. And he says, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Well, if you're not worthy for him to do anything for you, then what? You know what he's asking for? Mercy. And he's asking for grace. Grace is when God does something for us and we don't deserve it. That's grace. When God does something for us because he's good, not because we are. Yes? You know, I want to tell you something. There are people all around us where if we're going to give them the gospel because they deserve it, then just stop giving the gospel. They don't want it. How I many you know most people that you're trying to give the gospel to weren't waking up that morning thinking, oh, I hope somebody comes and talks to me about God today. They don't deserve it. We don't do it because we deserve it. We didn't deserve it either. You know what I deserve this morning? I be deserved to be cast away from God forever because I have violated His law. So I'm forgiven this morning, but that's not because I've done anything that makes me worthy of that. He's good. And this man understood this. So then his perception as he saw himself as small. He saw the Lord as great. Let me give you a verse very quickly. Isaiah chapter 57. May I say this? We, we love our nation, love the United States of America, but I'll say without batting an eye and without any blush, if our nation cannot find it in her soul to humble herself before God and admit how rotten we are in our soul, we are doomed. See, we're the greatest nation on earth. I don't disagree. You know what that is? That's a comparative term. We're better than that nation and we're better than that one and we're better than that one. Hey, let me say this this morning. All the nations that forget God. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Uh, Psalm 9:17. But the idea would be this this morning, if, and I say that from a national standpoint, but that applies to us individually as well. It, the accomplished and the wealthy and the responsible, those aren't the ones who get the kingdom of heaven. It's the poor in spirit. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus, by the way, it's the only time the word eternity is used in your Bible. Isaiah 57, 15, your King James Bible. Uh, For thus saith the high and lofty one, that's God, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. What that is? That's the poor in spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. If you study revival, meaning awakening, something that is lifeless, or lethargic, you study spiritual revival in the Bible, Old and New Testament, the recipe is always the same. Whether you're looking in Second Chronicles 7.14 or Isaiah 57.15, or you're going to look in James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, or First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, the recipe is always the same. We have to humble ourselves, which means we have to change our view of self. I asked this morning to begin the message, what do we need today? If we say, uh, uh, I, I'm good. No revival for us. I mean, I mean, no, we actually do have needs today. How many get all the wisdom you need? How many have all the spiritual strength you need today? How many of you have all the righteousness you need? Now, if you're in Christ, you have His righteousness. You're, 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 you're sealed by the Spirit of God the day of redemption. 
but I'm talking about the ability to do what's right. How many, you got, you got to figure it out. You, you're living a life that you know God is pleased with. Everything is good. You, do, you don't need any help in your marriage. You don't need any help in your thought life. You got it together. All it takes is about a half an ounce of honesty to realize we need help. Amen? Here's the thing. Some people are satisfied and say, oh, yes, we're all broken, we're needy. Yes, but there's a solution for our needs. His name is Jesus Christ and he lives. He not only died, he lives. And today, the same solution for the centurion is the same one for us, but we'll not have what he has. We don't have the riches of heaven when we don't think we need the riches of heaven. The greatest, the greatest obstacle in getting people to receive forgiveness of sins from God is acknowledging that they need it. And I don't care. I say that of rich men. I say that of poor men. We have a hard time acknowledging that I am in such offense with God that outside of his forgiveness, I'm in trouble. This man, he got a hold of that. He saw himself as small and he saw the Savior as great. He saw himself as unworthy and he saw Jesus Christ as worthy. His purpose in all of this. We've seen his position. He has great responsibility. He's got a great reputation, great respect, great resources. But that he did not let his earthly circumstances form his perception of himself. His perception of himself was formed by comparison to Jesus Christ. I began this earlier and I didn't finish, so forgive me. Luke 18, you have two people went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a publican. The Pharisee went up and said, God... I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. You catch something right there? How is he forming his perception of himself? By comparison to other men. I think that as I'm not as other men are. Uh, I, I, I fast twice in the week. I tithe of all my possessions. I, I this, I this. Or even, Lord, I'm glad I'm not even as this publican right over here. Boy, I'm glad I'm not like other people. If today my perception is, you know, I know people, they can't be on time to anything. They don't pay their bills. They're irresponsible. I'm not like that. Great. What about when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ never disobeyed God one time. How are we doing? Jesus Christ never told one lie. How are we doing? Jesus Christ never spoke one irreverent word toward God the Father. Jesus Christ never said one thing, never made one false judgment, never coveted what a man owned, never lusted after a woman in his heart. Not one time did he do one selfish act in his life. Now how are we doing? If I'm comparing to him, I'm not worthy. But now if you're comparing to me, you're doing okay. You with me? This man did not see his worthiness by his circumstances or by comparison to other people. He, this is something between he and Jesus Christ. You are great, I am not. I am not worthy that you should do this for me. But I'm asking anyway. He said, if you'll just speak the word, if you'll just speak the word, my servant will be whole. Here's the interesting thing. This man is trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for this. This is not so much a picture of salvation, but a picture of service. Faith that serves God is faith is rooted in selflessness. He is concerned, man, something, a guy like this, can't he hire another servant if this one dies? Well, I missed my servant, but the Bible says his servant was what? Dear unto him. Dear unto him. Isn't it amazing that when we're proud, we are also extremely selfish? When I think highly of myself, well, then you should serve me. Now, this guy was his servant by position, but right now, who's serving who? Is the servant serving him or is he serving his servant? 
He's serving his servant. His servant's not able to serve. He's almost dead. And this man is doing everything in his power to help his servant. Humility is the root and the key to not only receiving salvation, but receiving the ability to be used of God. There's going to be a miracle takes place. This man's not thinking about his future. He's thinking about his servant's future. Somebody say, well, he, he probably knew if that servant died. No, no, the Bible says his servant was dear unto him. That's why he cared. He loved this man. May I say this? If, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, we just went through this a couple of Thursday nights ago, you'll find that the heart of charity is selflessness. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. This is why, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit can get on board with the purpose of Jesus Christ. Not promotion of self, but use of self to serve the will of God and the needs of others to the glory of God. And so then his purpose was selfless and substantive. It was rooted in charity. Fourth and finally, his persuasion. He expresses his persuasion very firm in what he believed in verse 7. He said, Wherefore thought, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. He said, I sent friends to you because I didn't think I should approach you. You're too great. But saying a word, my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The Lord Jesus, with his two-edged sword of a tongue, did two things at one time. Commended the centurion and rebuked Capernaum. Thou Capernaum, he told him at one time, you'll be cast into hell because if the things that have been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. Capernaum was known for not believing God. But right in the middle of this unbelieving city and this unbelieving community was a man whose faith was a rebuke to all of them. He said, I've not seen faith like this in Israel. And this man's a Gentile. You know what that was to the Jewish leadership and the Jewish brethren? It was a, your unbelief is wicked. And he used another man's faith to rebuke their unbelief. He commended it. At one point in time, he commended some Gentiles in the Old Testament, and they tried to kill him again. <laughs> How about you? We, we <laughs> How many of you like it when the Lord rebukes you for not believing him? You know, you don't want to believe me. I understand that. You can say, well, you've lied in your life, and I don't believe people. I get it. But we don't believe God. That's proud. Do you know why this man had no problem believing God? Because he knew who God was, and he knew who he was, and he said... If you say the word, it'll be done. I don't need you to touch my servant. I don't need you to anoint him. I don't even need to see your face. All I need is you to speak. May I say this morning, humble hearts have no trouble trusting the word of God. Jesus said, a wicked and a perverse nation or generation seeketh after a sign. The centurion didn't say, give me a sign. He just said, I know because I know who you are that if you speak the word, it's done. How many believe this? The Word of God promises. We, we sang this morning, uh, uh, this, yes, I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vile sinner clean. Can we sing that with confidence? Does Jesus Christ right now still have the power in a moment of time to transform the nature of an individual? He does. You know how we know that? He says so. You don't need thunder from heaven. You don't need lightning. You and I really don't even need to see a living example. I'm glad for them. They strengthen our faith. We can trust His Word. You know what? This man was persuaded because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He says, all you have to do is speak the Word and it's done. 
Some of you today, you may be wrestling hard. You may be saved, wrestling hard with sin. You know what it takes to release you from the power of sin? It just takes the word of Jesus Christ. He had, Not you, him. It, this man's confidence was not in himself. It was in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he got as a result? We can finish with his prize. The Bible says, uh, without faith, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This man, by faith, diligently sought Christ, not needing a miracle, not needing a sign, just the word of God to accomplish this. He said, if you are willing, you have the authority to change this. And you know what Jesus did? The Bible says they went back, and what happened to the servant? Verse 10, And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. I can just hear the explanations. Oh, that's amazing. I wonder if what Jesus said made that happen. The centurion obviously had no doubt at all. Do you realize if you don't want to believe... There were people There were people that saw Lazarus walk out of the grave and still rejected Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? That is the power of unbelief. But here, here's the power of faith. I know who you are. May I say this? This, is, this, this message this morning is not spiritual rhetoric to stir us up. It is proclamation of truth. Jesus Christ, the one we read about in this book, who had power to tell a sick people. You say, preacher, do you think he still has power to heal sick people? If he so chooses, you better believe it. He can do whatever he chooses. Now, he may not choose to do that much, but I'm telling you, yes, he does. If that's what it needs to be done, of course he can. He came out of the grave alive. So, yeah, he can. Here's where it's more applicable. Every one of us, especially the saved here this morning, have somebody that you are burdened over. And you say, man, they are an impossible case. I'll concur. Something the Lord has so dealt with my heart with this last year is my wretched unbelief. I have people and I'm burdened over them. I'm grieved for them. And I'm talking about especially from a spiritual sense because that's far more important than body. Your soul is way more important than your body. And there are people who are so gripped by sin. They're so controlled by Satan. I look at their case and I say, man, that's impossible. And you know what? If I believe that, if I really believe that, how often am I going to entreat the Lord to do something about it? I won't. You know why this man sent for Jesus and asked him to do something about his servant? Because he knew he could. And he did. This morning... If you're here this morning and you've never come to personal faith in the person of Jesus Christ, I I, I assure you, I understand I'm not polished with words this morning. My words are straightforward. But the truth is, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. And your only hope of the forgiveness of your sins and of having an eternity with God is to realize without Jesus Christ washing your sins away, you are hopelessly bound for hell. That's the truth. If I'll agree with God on that, I don't have to be hopelessly bound for hell. Because the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many understand the clarity of that promise? If a person is here this morning and say, You know what? I am a sinner. I know that I am, but I don't know what to do about it. You don't have to let Him. That's salvation. Put your trust in Him. He'll save you. If this morning you're saved... I won't ask for lift of hands, but how many of us as I'm preaching say, yeah, I've got someone that's dear unto me and their case is hopeless. How about seek the Lord to do what you and I cannot? The centurion could have stood over the servant and said, get better, get better, get better, get better. I'm begging you, get better. You know what that would have done? Absolutely nothing. But when Jesus spake the word, 
and you have to leave it with him. The centurion didn't try to twist his arm. He said, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy, but I'm asking. Would you please heal my servant? I don't know where you're at this morning. You may have something in your own life. You may be the hopeless case, and it may be his word speaking to you today. Trust him. Obey him. So I don't know where you're at. You may have never received him as your Savior. Oh, don't leave here without it. See, I still don't understand. Then speak to me. Speak to one of us. We'd love to help you. You say, no, I know I'm saved. I know I've been born again. I don't know what the application of the message is to you. I do know this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Based on that, is mine the kingdom of heaven? You know what? The kingdom deals with his authority. The authority of heaven moved on behalf of this man. Why? Because this man knew that he needed it. He knew he needed Jesus Christ to do for him what he could not do. He needed servant help, and he didn't have the authority to heal that servant, but he knew one who did. And this morning, I don't know about you, I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be blessed. How many say, I want to be blessed? Here's what Americans most hear this. They spell the word blessed, B-L-E, dollar sign, dollar sign, E-D. That's what it means to be blessed. No. This man was blessed because he was poor in spirit, not because he was rich in things in this life. And God may be speaking this morning. God may be saying, the reason I'm not moving on your behalf is because you're still approaching me as though you deserve a favor. And we'll never get God's favor that way. God's favor is obtained by faith, not by merit.